0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. I'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Colossians 3 as we're continuing in our series, Rooted and built up, and in our study of Colossians, we have progressed to chapter 3 and verse 18, which is where Paul begins to talk about family life and work life, and so this morning we're going to ask the question, what does God say about marriage, parenting, and work? What does God say about marriage, parenting, and and work. If you want to follow along in one of the Bibles in the Pews, it's page 984. But follow along in your copy of God's Word. We're going to begin reading with verse 18 and move through chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, as we talk about these very practical things this morning, when we think about how much of our lives are taken with with, with family and and, and work, at, at home and at work. Lord, you desire that we live out the gospel in our daily lives. And so much of, of daily life is, is in these two arenas, at home and at work. And Father, we want to, to glorify you in both areas. We want to reflect the love and the character of Christ, both at, at home and at work. And we pray that you would would show us that. Today. Father, help us not just to be hearers of Your Word, help us to be doers of the Word. And so we begin to become more of a doer of the Word by the way that we listen to Your Word. So Lord, as we listen today, help us to take these things in deeply. May they get deeply rooted into our heart and work their way out into our living, in our marriages, in our parenting in our work life, in our school life, if we're students. Father, speak to us today. Work deeply in our hearts by the power of Your Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. Once upon a time, there was a a country that was neat and tidy, but totally repressed. There was a a dictator who, who enforced rules and regulations about every aspect of life. The people were, were regulated about the what they could eat and when they could eat it. Uh, what kind of car they could drive and, and, and where they could drive it. Uh, um, even what time they could get up and what time they were to go to bed at night. Well, one day, the dictator of the country became ill and died suddenly. And there was a, a new dictator that was put in his place. And he wanted to be the opposite of the old dictator. And so he said all the old rules are off they are henceforth abolished well there was rejoicing in the streets there was dancing everyone thought hey we're 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 free now we have our we have our freedom all the old shackles are off the next day two cars were driving down the main street of the capital city when they ran into each other in a head-on collision. Fortunately, neither driver was driving very fast, and so they were unharmed. But they both got out of their cars, and, and the following argument took place. One of them said to the other, "Um, Why were you driving on the wrong side of the road? Well, who said it was the wrong side of the road? Well, you see, here we drive on the right side of the road. Who says? Well, it's just the code. It's just the, the law. It's what we do. Not anymore we don't. We're free. Well, by the time the police arrived, one thing had become really apparent to the two drivers and to all the bystanders, and it was this. You can throw out the old rule book, but if you don't have some kind of a code to go by, the result is not going to be freedom. The result is going to be chaos and danger. It's kind of a picture of what's happened in our own country in the past 50 years or so. Because beginning in the 1960s, we said, hey, we're throwing out the old rule book. That's all gone, and now we're going to be free. Well, things have not really worked out that way because the result in many cases has been chaos and danger and all kinds of addictions and in many cases death. Well, God provides a guide for us, a guidebook for us, And God provides guidelines for marriage and parenting and work. And His guidelines do not repress us. His guidelines release us to flourish as human beings. Let's take a look at it this morning. We see, first of all, in this text, the Christian at Now it's obvious from the number of texts in the New Testament that deal with family life, that God wants us to take very seriously, and the early Christians took very seriously, living out the gospel in our home life, which is where we really let our hair down. We are really ourselves in the context of of our family life. And and what he's saying here is that he wants us to be our new selves in the context of our family life. Now, first of all, he addresses husbands and wives in verses 18 and 19. Let's look at it again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, the word submit here... Uh, for many people who don't understand, it conjures up images of, of, of downtrodden uh, women uh, who serve as doormats for dominant husbands. That's not what is being taught here. The word submission here simply means that, that, that wives are to, you want to respect your husband—it means that the disposition and posture of your heart is that you you, you want to follow his leadership. Doesn't mean to follow in a in a blind way or in an unquestioning way. In fact, as we get into the role of the husband, we're going to see that if he's leading the way that he should, he's going to be asking you questions. He's going to be coming to you and putting your needs above his own and being sensitive to your cares and concerns above his own. So um, submission does not imply inferiority in any way. And that's clear from the first chapter of the Bible. When God creates both men and women in what? In his own image. And this carries over into uh, the view of gender in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, the same Apostle Paul, who writes Colossians 3.18, says in Galatians 3.27 and 28, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, Christ have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, men and women, the Bible's very clear, totally equal, in value and in, in personhood, both created in the image of God. Now, this elevation of women, and it was a radical elevation, began really with Jesus and the way that Jesus treated women, which was, was absolutely revolutionary for that time and culture. Jesus, as, when you read the Gospels, You see, time and again, Jesus involving women in his ministry. Women had very strategic roles in the ministry of Jesus. You see Jesus speaking to women and treating them with with a a tenderness and a a dignity and respect that was just not at all the norm for that culture. That carries over into the ministry of the Apostle Paul when you read the book of Acts, when you read the epistles, very clear. That, uh, that the Apostle Paul uh, gave to, to women uh, vital strategic roles uh, on his uh, gospel team as they sought to advance the good news of Christ. Women were just absolutely key to that. It is Christianity that has done more throughout the history of the world to elevate the dignity and worth of women than any other movement in the history of the world, and it's not even close. And this becomes very apparent, even today, if you travel to areas of the world, as I have in North Africa and the Middle East and in parts of Asia, that have no Christian background. And in those cultures, to be female. Is to be less than as a human being. Women are not only second class citizens, but in many parts of the world, it's downright dangerous to be female. As women can, just and are routinely abused and in many cases uh, enslaved or killed without any repercussions whatsoever. What began to change things for women? was the Gospel. It was Christianity. Um, In the first century, wives were regarded as little more than possessions of their husbands. In Jewish culture, a husband could just uh, divorce his wife, toss her away for for any and every reason on, on a whim. In Gentile culture in the first century, Wives were pretty much kept in servitude while the husbands kept mistresses and, and, and fooled around and committed adultery with in, in, impunity. And this was, it, was, it was just outward and the women just had to kind of sit back and take that as the norm of the culture. The vision that we see of marriage... In, in Christianity, in the Bible, that the, the vision of marriage where both husband and wife are faithful to one another for life, where both husband and wife are putting the needs of the other person above their own needs, where both husbands and husband and wife are seeking to serve the other and put their spouse first and sacrifice for their spouse and and. That type of of a vision of marriage, that all comes from the gospel. That's all from Christianity. And and of course, that's the vision that he's presenting here in verses 18 and 19. Now, the fact that we are equal as human beings, as men and women, does not mean that we are identical, which is kind of self-evidently true, right? We're equal, but yet we're not identical. And God gives us different roles to play and so in verse 19 he talks about the role of the husband he says husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them now the complement to this the parallel verse in ephesians 5 is says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her now notice that that in in neither Colossians 3.19, nor in Ephesians 5.25, does he say, Husbands, rule your wives. He says in both cases, husbands, love your wives. And here he tells us how we are to love our wives. We're to love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 tells us about how much Jesus loved the church and how He loved the church. It says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is how Christ loved the church. So, husbands, if you view yourself as your wife's boss, then you don't even begin to get it. If, but if you view yourself as, um, as her servant, as Putting her first, putting her needs above your own, putting her interests above your own, laying down your rights and, and 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 putting her above yourself, protecting her, serving her, willing to lay down your life for us. Yeah, then you're beginning to get a biblical vision of how we should regard and love our wives. And furthermore uh both in Ephesians 5:25 uh, and in uh, Colossians 3:19 when he says love your wives the the tense of the word love here means keep on loving keep on loving in other words our love for them is not based on subjective feelings it's not based on on emotions it's it's not based on her uh, attractiveness or anything like that it is based on a commitment we make a commitment to love and to keep on loving. Now listen, this is how Christ loves us. Christ, Christ loves us many times in spite of ourselves, right? If His love were conditioned on our performance or on our you know, moral attractiveness or whatever, we would be doomed. Now, no, he, we, we are to love our wives as Christ loves us. And he, and he Christ is committed to us, and it's not based on our lovableness, but on his love. It's not based on our goodness, but on His grace. And that's how we're to love one another in marriage. It's love based on a commitment. Now, in all of this, marriage is a picture of what? The gospel. Because as both husband and wife seek to serve one another rather than be served, as both husband and wife, as we honor one another above ourselves and seek to put the needs and interests of our spouse above our own needs and interests, as we lay down our rights, as we are willing to lay down ourselves for the other, What is that picture? It pictures the way that Jesus has loved us. And so marriage is meant to be a picture, a demonstration of the gospel. Now, husbands, he adds at the end of verse 19 that we're not to be harsh with our wives and do not be harsh with them. Why does he feel compelled to say that? Well, it may have something to do with the ways that that men can be both in the 1st century and the 21st century, because men can be harsh. And um, we can can seek to sort of throw our weight around, throwing our weight around, um, intimidating, if not physically, then verbally. And he's saying there is no place for that in a Christian marriage. Men, do you realize, husbands, do you realize that your wife is one of God's daughters. Be real careful how you treat God's daughter. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, lest your prayers be hindered. I believe that it, it's, it's really important for the church, especially in the culture that we're living in, where so many couples have grown up without a healthy, functional marriage being modeled for them, it's very important that in the church that we do all that we can to help marriages and to help families grow strong. Beginning on September 11th, we're going to, uh, to offer for six weeks at 6.30 on Wednesday nights uh, a course on biblical marriage in a broken World to kind of go deeper on some of these things in in marriage. Well, in verses 20 and 21, he turns his attention to parenting. So let's look at that. He addresses children. He addresses parents. Verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now let's go back to verse 20. He's addressing children here, and he's talking to children who are still in the home. They're still growing up in the home. Now, after we're out of the home, we're never released from the command to honor our father and mother. We're always to do that, no matter how old we get. But while we're still growing up in the home, we're not only to honor father and mother, we are to obey our moms and dads. And so if you're here this morning as a, a child and you are, are still in the, in the home then, and you love Jesus, one of the ways that you show your love for him is by obeying your mom and, and dad in this season of your life. Even when you don't understand your mom and dad, you show your love for the Lord. One of the ways you show your love for the Lord is by obeying your mom and and, and dad, um, and he says that you're to do this in in in, in everything in, in verse in verse 20. Now, Paul is writing to Christian families here. The, the assumption that he's making here is that these moms and dads who are hearing this letter read and the church at Colossae are, are not going to uh, to to ask their children to, to to do anything wrong. Certainly, there are situations in which. A, ch- a child comes to faith in Christ. Let's say a teenager comes to faith in Christ and still at home, and the mom and dad are, are not believers, and they don't want the child to have anything to do with Christianity. They want the child to forsake Christianity, forsake church, all, all of that. Well, Acts four makes it very clear that our first obligation is to God. Okay, we can't do anything to to, to disobey God. So so that we have to keep. That in, in mind, God would not want you to do anything to uh, to disobey to disobey Him. So, but short of your parents asking you to sin, you're to obey them in in everything. Um, and then He addresses parents because just as children need discipline, we parents need to discipline ourselves in the way that we treat our children, which is what he's talking about in verse 21. Let's look at it. Fathers, and the word translated as fathers here, means fathers and mothers, parents. He's not just addressing dads here. This is dads and moms. Parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, the word provoke here means to exasperate to embitter. And he's saying that when we treat them in that way, um, that they become discouraged. And that word means to be dispirited. It's talking about a child who has just lost heart. They've just lost heart. Um, So, what are some of the things that we can do, parents, to... To cause, our, to, to cause our children to, to lose heart, to become discouraged, dispirited. I want to mention several things. I think they're all important. And it may be too quick for you to, to take notes on every one. You may want to go back and listen to the recording. But one thing that really can discourage them, that can cause them to lo- lose heart, nagging would be one thing. Nagging, belittling Going after our own fantasies of success through them, whether it's some athletic fantasy or some fantasy of, of of worldly success or academic success, where we try to live out what we would ideally want to be through them, it can be very, very dispiriting and And cause them to lose heart. Comparing them unfavorably to other children. Constant criticism without affirmation. Refusing to listen to them. Setting unrealistic goals and expectations. So they begin to feel like I can never do enough. Making unrealistic rules. Being so overprotective that what we end up communicating is that we don't trust them. And kids, if you want your parents to trust you, then don't behave in ways that undermine their trust. That's important too. Bullying them and beating them down verbally. Physical abuse is just so obvious, I haven't even mentioned that. But, but, But bullying and beating them down verbally can do it as well. Listen, if many parents spoke to their colleagues at work the way that they speak to their kids at home, they would lose their jobs. If they went off on people in public... In the workplace, the way that they go off on their kids at home, they'd be fired. Well, all of these things are, are things that, 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 that discourage, that produce a child that is dispirited, that's just lost heart. You say, but we have to discipline. Yes, we do. Ephesians 6.4 It says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But godly discipline doesn't involve any of the junk that I just mentioned. (laughs) In fact, all the junk that I just mentioned in that list undermines godly discipline. It doesn't help godly discipline. Godly discipline is controlled, it's measured, and above all, it's rooted in love. It's rooted in Gospel love. N.T. Wright is right on when he says that the parent's duty is, in effect, to live out the Gospel to the child. That is, to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might, if they would only try a little harder, become. Is that not how God has loved us? That is a picture of the Gospel. We're to love our children the way that Jesus has loved us. Yes, there is a time when we have to have rules, there's a time as parents when we have to, when we have to discipline, we have to lay down the wall, all, all, all of that. But, parents, don't be under the illusion that that's going to change the heart of your child. It will not. It may modify their behavior, which is also important. But if you're a Christian parent, if you're a Christian mom or dad, I really hope you're going for more than behavior modification. I hope you're going for heart transformation with your child. I hope that what your goal is is for a child who loves Jesus. Well, guess what? If that's going to happen, we've got to show them the love of Jesus. We've got to model, above all, gospel love for our children. To live out the gospel to them, to assure them that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might, if they would only try a little harder, become. If the only message that they get from us is, hey, do better, try harder. Now listen, they got to have so much more. They need, they need the Gospel. And we can't save their souls, parents. But what we can do and what we must do is share the gospel with them. And as we share the gospel with them, that's got to be coupled by the gospel love coming from us toward them. And we're to love them the way that Christ has loved us. This is how He's loved us. How He's accepted us unconditionally. His love is not conditioned on our performance. It's based on the performance of Jesus for us upon the cross now it's not easy to be a parent <laughs> these things are finding the right balance and all of this between tough love and tender love and and all of that these issues can be very very challenging um, and we need all the help that we can get one book that i think has been really helpful uh, to me at least is at least it's patrick's book give them grace dazzling your kids with the love of jesus i think she has a, a good handle on some of the issues that we're talking about. Let's talk about the Christian at work. He addresses that beginning in verse 22. Let's look at it together. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, the word bondservants here, it means slaves. That's what he's talking about. It's literally slaves. Slavery was very common in the greco-roman world of the 1st century in which paul is writing it was very different than slavery in north america prior to the civil war it was not race based it was um it was it was it was uh, uh slaves held very very important jobs in greco-roman culture they could earn their freedom and things like that that still doesn't make it right and Paul's not condoning it here. He's not saying that it's right. What he is doing is he's dealing with reality. <laughs> and reality is that there were people who were enslaved in the first century. Now, the question for us is, what's the application for us? Because obviously, you know, we're not dealing with the issue of slavery today. Well, Paul's enunciating a principle here. And it's a principle that applies to anyone who works under authority and anyone who works in authority, okay? So there's, the message here is, translates to the workplace or to school students, if you're in school, application here as well. Those who are under authority and those who are in authority, he has a word for both groups of people and In most cases, we're in both of those categories. First of all, he talks to those who are under authority. Now let's look, continuing in verse 22. He says that we're to work not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So, instead of just working as most people do to just impress the boss catch the boss's eye or whatever trying to please people a human boss we understand as believers we have a much higher boss that ultimately jesus is our boss though so our savior the one who loved us and gave himself for us is ultimately our boss and so what should that do that should that should be transforming in the way that we do our jobs, right? What is it? Because we're doing it for Him. Verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now what is that? what, what implications does that have? First of all, Christians in the workplace or students in school, Christians should stand out for their dedication and diligence. Christians should stand out in their dedication and diligence to be known as people who are doing the very best that they can. Why? Because in our case... We're not just working for an earthly boss, we're giving our utmost for His highest. It means that we turn our jobs, whatever they are, into an act of worship. Now think about that. What if you thought about on the way to school students, or to the way to your workplace adults, what if you thought, "This is I'm, my job is an act of worship? I'm, I'm serving the Lord as I do this. I mean, that's just, and, and that Jesus is the one that, that I'm, 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 I want to I please. And he's pleased when I do my best. I mean, it's just, that's huge. That's transforming. It's also important that we understand that, that work, is, unlike the way that most people in our culture view it, they view it as a means of making money. But for us as believers, it's much more than that. You see, work is not a necessary evil. That we something that we have to do in order to, to, to earn a living or to get grades or, or whatever, you know, to be able to make a living and, 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 and all that. As Christians, it should be so much higher than that. Why? Because work is not a result of the fall. Very important to understand that before sin entered the world in Genesis 3... God had already put human beings in the garden to work it and tend it. In other words, when the world was still pristine and perfect, God had already put work in the world. Why? Because we need it. We need it for meaning. We need it for purpose. And in God's sight, there are no meaningless jobs now he adds in verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In other words, don't worry if those who don't have your, your standards in the workplace, don't worry if, they, if they're promoted over you or something like that, or if they seem to be becoming more of a worldly success, then you don't worry about that. Why? Because you're, God's going to reward God's gonna reward. I mean, you can count on that. God sees all, sees everything. God knows. He knows He knows your He knows your work and your dedication. God will reward, and that 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 releases us, that frees us when we understand it. Well, next, he talks to those who are in Authority in chapter 4 and verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, the translation here is to those who are in authority in in the workplace. And what he's saying here is that if you are at the top of the chain where you work, remember you're not really at the top of the chain. God's at the top. And God regards the people that are are under your authority as equal to you in in, in value and in worth, and they are to be treated that way by you. Now, um, it's amazing. (laughs) This text is amazing when you consider it. That as this letter was read, and usually these letters were read to the congregation gathered together. So all the congregations gathered together and they would read the letter to them. You had both masters and slaves that were sitting there listening to this. It's amazing when you contemplate that. And what the Bible is saying here is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees, men and women, all sinners. With one wonderful Savior who makes us one. Let's pray. Father, we pray for that oneness beginning in our homes. Father, we pray that You'd help us as husbands and wives to live out the Gospel in the context of our homes. Lord, help us as moms and dads to model Gospel love for our children. Father, we pray that You would give us homes that would really really stand out from the culture and the way that we treat one another. Father, as we model gospel love, Lord, in the context of our church family, Lord, may there just be uh, such an, an atmosphere of self-giving, self-sacrificing uh, love as we honor one another above ourselves, that, that again, the world looks on with wonder, and they're powerfully attracted to that. Father, we pray that You would help us to shine out as, as lights in the darkness in our workplaces. Father, many of us may be in in a workplace environment where we're the only Christian or or maybe we we, we feel that there's just a lot of darkness where we we work. But Father, help us to understand that You've you've providentially placed us where we are to be lights that shine out in the the way that we do our jobs and in the quality of of our, our love for people, Father, again, help us to, to, to live out the gospel in in all of these arenas at, at home and at work. As we continue to pray, perhaps you're here today and, and you would say, I'm intrigued by this love that you're, you're talking about. Love that gives of itself. Love that lays down its life. All of that comes from Jesus. It's all modeled on Jesus. It flows from Him. If you're here today, you say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to know Him in the way that you're describing. I want this gospel love to take root in my heart. Why don't you turn to Christ right now? Turn to Him. Trust Him. Just acknowledge, Lord, I can't make it on my own. I can't save myself. I'm a sinner, but I believe that You died for my sins on the cross that you were raised from the dead. And right now I turn to you and I trust you. I rest in you alone, your finished work alone. In just a moment we're going to have a song of invitation. And if that's been the prayer of your heart, if you want to know more about giving your life to Christ, as others stand, I want to invite you to come. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I want to be a part of this church family as we seek to live out the gospel together. We want to invite you to, to come. If you're here this morning in need of a prayer, you're invited to come. You can come pray with one of our pastors or come pray at the altar. It's open for you. Father, we thank you for your great love for us in the gospel uh, that transforms our lives in every arena in daily life home and at work and father pray for anyone here today that needs to make the decision to to follow you to let the gospel take root in their heart that you would give them the grace to do that today father Lord, for any decision that needs to be made um, to follow you to uh, to be a part of this church family father give the grace to make those decisions and step out today we ask it in jesus name amen let's stand together as we sing I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.